Would you please stand with me for the reading of the scripture? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. John 1, chapter, no, John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that had been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Holly. Hey, just real quick, uh, before we pray and get into things, Jake did a great job announcing kind of the Sabbath month, how we take a break. But just to be crystal clear, we do not take a break from Sunday morning gatherings, okay? It could have sounded that way. And, and, and he, he and I talked on the side like, oh, it could have sounded that way. But just to be clear, uh, we just take a break from all the extra stuff. There you go. So uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Park Hill Church. My name is Evan, and my wife Sandy, right up here, she and I lead this church with a team, and it's a joy of our lives, so so glad. So glad to be doing this, honestly. Um, today, we begin a brand new series entitled Shema, Hearing God's Voice. Have you heard the word Shema? It is not English, obviously. That'd be a weird English word. So Shema is a Hebrew word, really, really old word, and it comes from the most famous prayer in all of Jewish faith, the faith of Jesus. Jesus prayed this prayer and based his whole worldview on it. It actually, it actually comes from the oldest parts of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible, some call them Torah, others call them the Pentateuch. These five books shaped Israel. They shaped Jesus. And in the middle of these books, toward the end, at the heart, is this, is this creed. It's, it's a statement of faith. You ready for it? Here it is. Hear, can we read it together? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And there you have it. The primary creed of the Jewish faith, the faith of Jesus, that's the baseline. And what's, what's the leading command of this? It's to hear, right? To hear. And that hear doesn't just mean, hey, listen to sound. Like, let sound enter your ears. That's not what hear means in Hebrew. To hear means to actually digest someone's words and make sure they know you're listening through your behavior. Like you in therapy know there's like active listening, attentive listening. If you're in couples therapy, what did she say or what did he say? And if they just parrot back what they heard, that's not hearing, right? That's not the kind of hearing that communicates love. What kind of hearing communicates love? According to the Shema, hearing is a synonym for responding rightly. This is the heart of it. As God's people respond rightly to what he says, God is loved and his people flourish. That's what it looks like to hear. God is loved and God's people thrive. 
okay? So for the next nine weeks, that's, that's what we're talking about. Not taking a break through July, we're going to keep talking about it through July. So we're going to grow in hearing, obeying, and reflecting. This is actually a great thing to, 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 to rally around in a month of rest. Can we respond and reflect God's voice? So as we kick off this series, the title of this first teaching is really about this God who first speaks. That's the title, The God Who Speaks. And this is really the main point I want to make today. The God of the Bible and the God ultimately revealed in Jesus Christ, he's not a silent or distant God. He's a God who loves to come close to his creation, both to commune and to communicate with his human family. How often do you think of God in that way? He wants you. He wants to be intimate and commune with you. He created you for his, for, for his enjoyment. He created you for his enjoyment. And he wants to say things to you. He wants you to respond to what he actually says to you. This God is not distant, you guys. From page one to the final sentences of scripture, God is a speaking God. So Halley read it, the Genesis creation account, it goes out of its way to make this super clear, super clear, did you, that God is a speaking God. Uh, did you know, by the way, that the Bible is not the only ancient creation story? Did you know the, the creation story in the Bible isn't even the oldest one written? Did you know this? And if that feels, if that bothers you, it shouldn't, it shouldn't bother you at all. There are ancient creation stories from Egypt and China and Japan and from ancient Hinduism and Babylon and Canaan. They all have some similarities. They all kind of share some ideas about gods and chaos and things coming out of other things to be created. But listen, what's most interesting about the creation story in the Bible is how it's different than all the other stories. It's like God wanted to say, no, 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 no. I don't want those lies to actually create you. I, I don't want you to be shaped by those narratives. Here's the truth. And so God, he, he, he actually writes this creation story in partnership with humans, Moses, and, and all of that. You, you know the story, maybe. So here's, here's the differences between the Bible's creation story and the others. Number one, in the Bible's creation story, it's one God who's responsible for creating everything. In the other stories at the time, there were a bunch of gods kind of fighting for significance. But in this one, there's one. In, in number two, how does God create? By speech. God creates by speech. In most other stories, the gods create through physical or even violent actions. But what makes the Bible's creation story not only the truest, which it is, it's the true story, but what makes it be most beautiful and dignifying is that God, uniquely, he makes humans in his own image to reflect his nature and character as his creative partners. You guys, this is totally unique to the Genesis story. All other creation stories depict humans not as partners, but more like slaves of the gods. So church family, this is who our God is. This is who is, is here, seeking to commune with us. When you take communion today, bread and wine into your mouth, you are, you are engaging with him. He desires this with you. 
And he, he agrees to meet with us through the means he's given us as we respond rightly to him like this, as we sing, as we listen to the, the scriptures and, and greet each other with kindness and the fruit of the spirit. God wants to be known and discovered here. So it, it's incredible. This is the God revealed in Jesus. So this God comes in Jesus and this is why John's gospel starts with a recap of creation. Did you know this? The New Testament has a creation story. Just like the Old Testament, the New Testament does. It's John 1. Here it is again. In the beginning was who? Well, this is the word for Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word was God. Man, there's so many words about the word in these words. He was with God in the beginning, and, and, and without him, nothing was created. Everything was made by and for and with the word. This, this God who is Jesus, who is a word, the word. In him is life, oh, he has life, and that life was light, he has light. Life, light, and love, all of these things are sourced in this person. Life and light and love. And then finally, the light shines in the dark, and the darkness is yet to overcome the light, can't. Um, and then, verse 14, rounds the corner, and he says, and this word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood, he says. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So one way I've heard it said that I love, Jesus is what God has to say. So you want to hear God? The primary thing you can hear from God that he has made himself hearable through is Jesus. Not, not just an audible voice through the clouds or even, this, even reading the Bible by yourself or whatever. No, primarily God has given us himself in flesh and blood in Jesus, the word, because God's a speaking God. So that's the first point of this first teaching. God is a God who speaks. He's a speaking God. That's how he first comes to us. Here's the second point. You ready? So God's people flourish when we hear and respond rightly to his voice. So God speaks, we flourish when we respond rightly. And this isn't just if we obey, like obey the speed limit. That's not the kind of obedience that God desires. He desires a relational obedience. Our loving creator God speaks and we respond by living out his good character through our acts of justice and our righteous holy living. Again, remember that, that couples therapy analogy. What did they say? What did, what did he say? And then she doesn't just parrot. She actually responds in her own words and follows with her own actions. And then love is communicated. This is how we respond to the God who's spoken. Not just by parroting doctrine, but by responding with a life. And, and this is how we flourish. This is how we flourish. This is the heart of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, and I'll be with you and you'll flourish. That's the heart. So I want to say it this way. Hearing God's voice is arguably the most important aspect of the whole of the Christian life. It's the baseline for how we know and are transformed by God. In fact, the words God speaks to us are even more important than the words you can speak about God? 
the words God speaks to us are even more important than the words you speak to God. So hearing his voice is the most important thing we as Jesus followers can learn to do this side of heaven. And now, I just want to kind of point to the elephant in the room, wherever it is. But there's an elephant in the room. Uh, when a room of modern Western, I'll say American Christians, I know there's some, uh, some non-Americans in here. There's French and Turkey. and So uh, when a room full of Westerners, I'll just say that, when we think about, oh, God's people flourish if we obey. Then our minds go to, great, if I obey, I'll, have, uh, I'll be healthy and wealthy. I'll, I'll get the life I think I want, according to me. Um, so, but in the Bible, flourishing doesn't mean avoiding suffering. And, and this is so hard for us to understand because our idea of flourishing is wrapped up in wellness. Suffering doesn't go with flourishing in our Western minds. Painlessness means flourishing. So, but, but Jesus said we will have pain. So question, did Jesus live a joy-filled, flourishing life in God? So, so yes, the answer is yes. He was the most flourishing human ever. In fact, he said, come to me, I have life to the fullest. In fact, I have enough to spare every human. So come to me, and I'll give it, I'll share my life with you. Now, next question, did Jesus still suffer? Okay, good, yes. It, 10 out of 10, flourishing and suffering, both in Jesus fully tense. Why? Why is, this, why is this a reality? Full suffering and full flourishing coexisting? And I want to give you kind of what I believe is one of the most forgotten yet deeply biblical re realities about our world, and it is that we live in a war zone. We live in a spiritual war zone. So why is flourishing and suffering, both in tension in Jesus, because we live in a war zone. The current universe is a space where great spiritual evil and great spiritual good are in constant conflict, coexisting. This is a space where we can pray and people are healed, and we can pray and the people we prayed for get sick, sicker and die. Both, both existing. This is a space where people pray for miracles and they happen in Jesus' name. And we pray for miracles and nothing happens. Both. This is a space where demons tremble at Jesus' name and where people partner with demons through witchcraft and kill, steal, destroy. Both. In this space that we live, this universe, this, this war zone, both things are true. Both God is willing that none should perish and everyone should be saved through Jesus and people reject him. Wait a minute, God doesn't get what he wants? Actually, not all the time. It's a war zone. The universe we currently live in is a war zone. Case in point is Jesus. See the tension, see the war in Jesus himself in the garden. Is there any other way? He's God asking God for God to change his mind or something, or at least give him a clue that what he heard before from God is different than what he needs to do. There's tension. There's so much tension in Gethsemane that reflects the war zone that Jesus was leading the way through. And in Jesus, there's both flourishing and suffering in tension. And we love the Gospels. We're like, 
you know, we go to church. People in church on Father's Day probably like reading the Bible. So uh, when we read the gospel accounts of Jesus, we see this tension. We see, oh, Jesus suffered. Oh, Jesus thrived. We see both, but we forget that this is how the world works for us. We live in this war zone, and for us modern Americans, this messes with our definition of thriving and wellness and flourishing. Because I, I naturally think flourishing means wellness, not suffering. But Jesus promises both. So, so, and I think this is, this is why this concept of hearing God's voice can be so hard for a lot of us. Because, wait a minute, if God always speaks for my flourishing, but I'm working with the wrong definition of flourishing as no suffering, then of course I don't recognize God's voice. Of course I'm not, I don't experience hearing him. We're like suffering and flourishing together. What kind of flourishing is that, Jesus? I, when I hear, obey me and you will thrive, I think, okay, boom, no health issues, no money issues, maybe the dream romance, and for sure a job that I love that's perfect for my wiring that's life-giving or whatever. Because no, ne God would never want a job for us that we hate, you know, or would he? Because that's my definition of flourishing. And, and listen, all that can be great. A job that goes with your personality that's perfect for your gifting, praise God when that comes. And the, a romantic relationship that is blessed, so grateful for when that comes. Maybe all that stuff will come for you. Awesome. It's just not the Bible's definition of flourishing. At least not the complete one. In the Bible, flourishing equals sh this word called shalom. You're getting a couple of Hebrew words today. But hopefully shalom is more familiar. Shalom, we translate that as peace. Which we think, stop fighting, just stop conflict. But that's not, that's, that is part of it. If shalom comes to you, there will be an absence of conflict for sure. But that's not the substance. The substance, you guys, here's shalom. When all relationships with God and others and yourself and the rest of creation, when they're rightly ordered away from chaos, not out of it, but moving away from it toward flourishing. So you're oriented toward flourishing away from chaos in your relationships. So when God speaks, it's always to orient his family toward that, shalom. So does that look like, hey, if I obey God, everything will immediately work out for me? No. Because there's a lot of broken stuff in this war zone. In fact, because, in fact, because we're in a spiritual war zone, when you obey God, you might actually get more demonic attack on you because the enemy hates shalom. And it might feel like you're doing the wrong thing because it doesn't agree or naturally resonate with your inherent desires or whatever. And full restoration will only happen. Full shalom will only happen when the crucified, risen King Jesus physically returns to get rid of all evil and set up God's good kingdom in fullness. And until Jesus comes, Jesus followers are people who choose faithfulness through sickness and in death. And when we're tempted and demonic attack, and when we face abusive people, we choose to stay faithful to Jesus. Whatever that might look like, doesn't mean keep getting abused at all. 
And every kind of force working against God, we stay faithful to God through that. You see, this is what's happening in these creation stories. In both Genesis 1 and John 1, they both reveal a God who's always speaking through chaos. God's voice is always piercing darkness and not eliminating it. He doesn't immediately eradicate everything sad. That's not real until Christ returns. But his light is piercing darkness decisively so that we can see it and orient to it. You see, that's what God's voice does. It doesn't pull us out of everything dark. It shows us where the light is. Uh, so, so again, let there be light, Genesis 1. And creation responds rightly. And light and dark are distinguished. In the same way, in John 1, Jesus is the Word. He is the life of humans. He is the light. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness backs off a bit. It says it, it has not overcome. See, what, I love what John is doing with the Genesis story. John probably has this scroll open to him or something. He has the Genesis story. Maybe it's in his head because they all memorized way more scripture than we ever do back then. And John has the Genesis story in his mind. He's like, oh my gosh, my beloved, Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus of Nazareth, he is the God who spoke in the beginning. He is the speaking of the God who spoke. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess with that creation story a bit. And he does. And he, and he writes John 1. He rewrites the creation story with Jesus as the center of the universe. He, so, so Jesus is the light. And question, is the dark kingdom gone as soon as Jesus is born to Mary? This is important for us to wrap our minds around. I hope you're sensing a theme here, the war zone motif. It's, it's behind everything. This is the backdrop of the Bible. So the, the, the dark kingdom is still very present. It just can't beat the light. It can't beat the light at the end of the story. So don't get me wrong, there's plenty of individual battles that the darkness does win. This is, okay, this is the part that might mess, it doesn't feel good for me to even preach, but I see it in scripture, so here I go. I think of cancer and chronic pain, even in children of God who pray for 20 years for healing. I just got off the phone with our precious, amazing head of tech, you know, Nate. He's, he runs AV every morning, and he's just going through it. He's in Florida with his ailing mom who was hit with a, a, a kind of cancer no one saw coming at a stage no one expected, and it's just horrific. And he's, he's, he's asking me questions on the phone, and I'm sharing this publicly because he already shared it publicly two weeks ago at Seek First Sunday, and we all prayed for him. We all prayed for him, you guys. We all called upon, we pounded on the gates of heaven that a miraculous event would take place in time and space to, to invade his mother's body with kingdom life. We know her body will be fully resurrected and restored and healed at the end of the story, but Jesus, bring that now, we prayed. We wanted to pull the future into the present, and it seems to be not working. Why? Because I think it's so important to understand the scriptures clearly teach that there are battles that God does not win. Does that mess with you? Does that bother you? It should, and it, it, it should. It should grieve you. It should cause us to cry out like the ancient Hebrews, how long, O Lord, in all their psalms? 
When horrible, unspeakable things happen to vulnerable people, that is not the victory of God. Those are victories of God's enemy. Those are skirmishes lost. There are horrific evils in the world that God, that God does not will in any sense. The thing God does do, here's the important part that's throughout the entire narrative of Scripture, that God is the master of taking every evil and every suffering and every demonic victory and repurposing it for good. Okay? That may feel like a difference without a distinction, but it is not. It is a huge distinction. Just like, oh, God is sending this problem on me. I wonder what he's teaching me. No, 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 no. There are other wills at play in the universe. There are other wills that are hell-bent, quite literally, against the light and the darkness, Christ. Uh, Whether human or unseen beings, we call them the demonic. And their voices are vying for worship. And God's voice is the only one that will be worshipped at the end of the day. So on the way to the final war being won by Christ, which is sealed, there is not a chance of Christ losing the cosmic victory over the universe. Not a chance of him losing. He has won. It's sealed. It's done. Satan's fate is sealed. And on the way there, there are plenty of skirmishes we see lost all the time. This is a theology of suffering. Without this... We, we don't have it when we need it. Until Christ makes every sad thing untrue and brings final and full healing to every single part of the universe that is oriented towards shalom, that is calling on his name, until he comes and does that, we live in a war zone. And this is also why it's so, it's so important to know this because it's, it explains why God's, we feel that he's so silent sometimes. Because the darkness is present doing damage, but at the end of the day, the darkness will be fully overcome by the light. The light of the crucified risen Jesus will only keep advancing. And it advances, Jesus' light advances through his spirit-filled church that chooses to hear and obey his voice with our lives. Through fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, bread, cup, scripture, generosity, hospitality, these Jesus things. This is why we practice the way of Jesus. It's not just so we could be do-gooders in the world. We are quite literally God's family of spiritual warriors taking back the, 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 the territory that Satan plundered. We're plundering it back through our worship, through responding when he speaks. So we live in the now, not yet. The kingdom is fully here, and it's not here. Jesus has not fully physically returned. Both. Which is why this whole conversation might actually trigger you. Hearing God's voice. You heard it so clearly 10 years ago. That was God. He told me to do this. It was a desire of my heart, and he said I'm supposed to do this. It was confirmed through, like, prophetic words and through my community and I read the scriptures and everything was pointing to God speaking about this thing. It was a prayer I had since I was a kid. It was a dream for my life. It was a desire not even for myself but for God's kingdom to be built. I heard God in a way that was so clear. I was like, if that's not, if that's not what God sounds like, I'll, I'll never know what God sounds like. It was so clear. And then it didn't happen. And so now we're on a series on hearing God's voice, and at best is like a, you're like, this is a mystery, or at worst, you're like, this is, feels like abandonment right now, or I'm just being, dis, I'm just divine dismissal of me. 
Why, why can't I hear him? Does God care that I know how to listen? Does God want me to listen? Why is he silent? I've been to one of those Seek First Sundays, Jake, where it's like happy clappy and everybody seems to be hearing God and I got nothing at Seek First Sunday. Maybe that's you. Now, in the, in the coming weeks, we'll, we're going to talk about how to hear the voice of God very practically, um, how to hear God in the scriptures, how to hear God through each other, how to hear his voice in the quiet or through personal discernment, how to hear God in creation. These are all ways God speaks. But today, if, it, if it's not clear, I'm going to make it even more clear. Today, we're focusing this whole conversation on the most profound way God has ever spoken. The most clear, tangible way for us to know the voice of God is through a living, breathing person, through Jesus, who is the word of God. That's the primary way God has spoken. Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus, has, Jesus coming is God speaking to you in the most primary sense. He's the starting point for all of this because he's the lens we see everything through. If you remember the Revelation series from last winter, Jesus is currently seated on a throne in the center of the universe. We just haven't pulled back the veil yet. And there is a present darkness. This is why we looked at the two creation stories side by side. Here here they are, just, just to be even more clear real quick. Look at that. John's totally messing with Genesis here. He's playing with the creation story that, he, that raised him. In the beginning, God, he's like, oh, that's the beginning, Jesus. God, the God who spoke is the speaking of the God who also created. And he speaks light. Jesus shines. Light ushers in. Jesus ushers in new. So Genesis 1 is creation. John 1 is new creation. End result of Genesis 1, God starts his human family. End result of John, God redeemed his human family. And then John writes Revelation at the end of the story. He says, so let, let anyone who is thirsty come and drink. Whoever wants to hear, come here. Come respond. Whoever wishes, take the free gift of life. Whoever hears, come. And this is the call today. I don't know what brings you to a, a Christian church today. If Maybe you're visiting Christianity from outside and you're like checking it out. You're invited here. You are invited to come and respond to the God who speaks. And the primary way he spoke is by becoming a human like you. What more, it's so much better than language, you guys. If a picture is worth a thousand words, what is an incarnation worth? And this is how God has spoken to you to empathize and sympathize and experience every single temptation, every struggle, every, every grief and toil, every trouble that you have in his body. God is, this is how God has spoken to you. How do you respond? If you're not a Christian, you're invited to be a Christian. It's just a, it's a label, an ancient label given for people who are responding appropriately to the God who's with us. And if you are a Christian, most of us in this room are probably Christians. We've responded to Jesus. We've said yes. We see ourselves as Jesus followers. Well, I would ask you, is there any area of your life that is not fully submitted to Jesus currently? 
you maybe responded to Jesus at one point, and you still live as a Christian, kind of, or maybe fully, almost, <laughs> but there's that peace that you're keeping from God. How are you responding to Jesus this week? That's what I want to ask you. How are you hearing God this week? Um, so full, fully submit. In a minute, we're going to, in a few minutes, try to be accurate. <laughs> we're going to, in a few minutes, we're going to have people up front that will love to pray for you. What would it look like to open to the God who speaks? Fully submit your whole life to his authority. What area of your life is not submitted currently? You think of the big three. A really easy example is to think of the big three idols, you know, uh, money, sex, power. This, 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 this stuff, this, the stuff that our culture values. Money, sex, power. The things we're told make us matter. And the ways we get money, sex, power. Career, vocation, education, networking, all of that. Are there any aspects of those things? Money, sex, power are beautiful things God has made. Influence in money and sexuality. How are you responding to God with those things? You're invited to flourish. You're invited to flourish in those things. What if I don't have any money? You're invited to flourish in obedience, rightly oriented towards shalom. What if I'm not having, what if I, you're invited to take on God's definition of flourishing, which naturally means surrendering your own definition or culture's definition of flourishing, which it, that's the battle. That's the one we can argue with God all our lives long and then miss the boat. So, and then responding. What is responding? Well, commit to your church, committing to your church family through thick and thin. Serving, serving when it feels inconvenient. Giving when money is tight. Reaching out to the poor and vulnerable, even though it means giving up a free Saturday to go to Tijuana and play soccer. Or even learning about God's heart for ethnic reconciliation. Maybe the, 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 the way the gospel meets uh, ethnic reconciliation and racial reconciliation Maybe that's not a conversation you're normally in for whatever reason. Maybe, maybe responding to the God who speaks because he has a God, because God has a family of every nation. What, what would it look like to respond to the God who calls us to be reconcilers? What would that look like? Um, practical, immediate example. Tomorrow is Juneteenth. Yeah, come on. It should be celebrated. An annual Juneteenth, you guys, is an annual commemoration of the emancipation of enslaved people in the U.S. So the story of Juneteenth is both painful and redemptive. In fact, I just got news of a horrific event that happened last night in Liberty Station at a Juneteenth celebration. Last night, there was a shooting. Someone died. At an aggravated moment in a Juneteenth celebration, there, was, there, were, there were gunshots and one person is no longer with us. Uh, and others were injured right here in Liberty Station last night. So this, this is ethnic reconciliation is, a, is an area of, of justice in the world that Satan is very intent on the church not presenting herself as the solution to. So, so what would it look like to step into that? To, to, it's, and yeah, it's very much worth asking your black brothers and sisters in Christ about, hey, what does Juneteenth celebration look like for you? It's not just a holiday for black people, by the way. It's a beautiful yearly opportunity for a church like ours to intentionally step into the New Testament call for ethnic reconciliation. 
which is at the heart of the majority of the letters in the New Testament. You just re read the New Testament, find a, pick any letter, chances are you will land on a letter with its primary point being, hey, ethnic Jews, hey, ethnic Gentiles, please be family now in the gospel intentionally. So why am I saying all this? Why am I saying this? Do you remember why? Do you remember? Because all of these examples are what it looks like to be a community that hears God's voice. Recognizing the primary way God's voice has come to us is in the, the flesh and the blood of Jesus. Which mean the, it means a community that is hearing God is a community that is seeing Jesus in worship and doing the Jesus stuff toward the neighbors. Together by the power of the Spirit. That's, that's hearing God's voice 101. So that's teaching one of nine right now. Um, in the coming weeks, we'll get into all the other ways we can hear God's voice personally through prophecy and scripture and creation. And again, if this whole conversation is a hard idea for you, hearing God's voice, please hear me that you're not alone. You're just, you're in a room full of people that have misgivings and I don't know if I agree or whatever, like you are in the right place. Um, and you're in the company of many faithful Christian brothers and sisters who have written for centuries on the silence of God. Uh, so, remember, Jesus promised there will be darkness, there will be trouble, and he also promised that at the end of the day, the darkness cannot overcome his light. This is the tension we live in. His kingdom's advancing. You and I are in this messy middle. The now, not yet. The kingdom is here. It's at hand, Jesus says. And he also said, behold, I come quickly. It's here and not both so keep your ears open keep your ears open keep your life open God is a God who speaks he speaks towards shalom full shalom is coming what is responding to his voice look like for you right now whether you've been here for a week not just in the church but in the faith or you're not even in the faith yet you're like I'm still exploring or you've been here for 30 years what does it look like for you to open your full life to God? Our job as God's faithful people is to obey. You have slide 12. To obey his voice primarily through Jesus is how he speaks. And then whatever other form his voice comes, even when it doesn't make sense in the moment, trusting that God's idea of flourishing will be better than my idea. That's, that's what faith is. So I was 13 when I first felt I heard God's voice. You know, it's like summer camp, bonfire. It's totally like, you know, God's going to speak. It's like, God's totally going to speak. It's summer camp. It, the conditions are right, you know. <laughs> and there's a bonfire and there's sparks flying. And there's a preacher who's like weaving in tongue speaking in between his powerful preaching. I'm like, oh, God's going to speak. It's awesome. Uh, I, I grew up kind of charismatic, kind of baptist -y, Calvary chapel -y, you know. So I'm like, I'm open. I'm like open. And I'm 13. And... Uh, and the preacher does an altar call. I love altar calls. I'm 13, and I love when people come to faith. It's beautiful. A bunch of kids come to faith. And then uh, and he says, I'm going to do a different call. I don't normally do this. And uh, I, I invite anyone who's called to full-time ministry. I know you're 13, but you are called to give your whole life to working with church, in church, for church as a shepherd, as a pastor, and maybe even start new churches. 
And he's talking to junior hires. What junior hire do you know will respond to a church plant call? 13-year-old, you're going to plant a church. And I felt, as he's speaking, I feel my stomach do 18 somersaults. And, and, uh, and I'm like, nope. <laughs> both. I felt both. It was like the now and not yet, right? And I'm like, oh, and then I'm, no, no. And, and that year, by the way, eighth grade, I was voted in my Christian private Christian school yearbook, most likely to be a pastor. <laughs> and uh, I, I hated my people for that. <laughs> and, so, and so all this is coming together at the same time. And I'm sitting and the sparks are flying and the bugs are biting and it's camp and God's going to speak because it's camp. But then it's so specific and my stomach wanted to walk without me, but I stayed seated, stayed seated. And, um, and my friend gave me a dead arm sitting next to me, actually physically punched my arm and said, he's talking to you. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, he's talking to both of us. Like, we're both, we're both giving me full-time ministry. Come on. And so, so he kind of grabbed my arm and we walked up together. And then the, the pastor, you know, he looked at me and he goes, finally, like he knew, <laughs> like he knew I was coming. I don't know if he, I don't know if it's his shtick or whatever that he does, but, but, but it, for me in that moment, getting prayed for why, why, did, why, did, why did that happen? This, to me, was a clear moment of God speaking. Why? He, because he loves me. Because the creator of light loves me. The word loves me. And he spoke because he loves you. And he loves Park Hill. And he wanted to exist someday. And he loves his church. He loves to speak. Even when, even when we're cynical 30 years later about how we heard him when we were in junior high, he loves to still speak. He loves to speak to you. And, uh, and because that's, that's who he is. That's how he, that's how he introduces himself in the story. In the beginning, God created. How? And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. There's a, there's a method to the order. It's not madness. There's a method to the beauty. And he is, it's because he's, he's primarily speaking and he loves you. So God's people flourish when we hear, and flourishing is probably not our best idea of what flourishing is. It's his best idea. And so trusting that that's true is the task of hearing. So I'm inviting you to hear today from wherever you're coming. Um, there's going to be people up on the right and left uh, who want you to experience intimacy with God in a way he wants to meet you. God wants to be intimate with us. The Trinity is intimate. Father, Son, and Spirit in God in three persons. Relating, loving, and then, and then overflowing into creating. And then his creation is invited into that intimacy. Right now, we're going to have communion, which is exactly what it sounds like, where God comes into us. He comes to meet with us through grain and grape to communicate, and not just to say things, but to commune with you intimately. And so before communion, we're going to have a time of prayer. If there's any sin to confess that's separating you, again, whether you've never prayed or whether you have been a Christian for 50 years, if there's something separating you from God, you're invited to come, confess it, and be cleansed, and be forgiven, and receive healing. It's all available in Christ. So uh, let's pray. Let's, let's open our hands and maybe close our eyes and say,
God, what do you want to do? Holy Spirit, come. There may not be a super specific call to plant a church given from the microphone, like my summer camp. But there is a call on each of our lives to respond to God. So Holy Spirit, would you come now? Meet us here. You love us so much. Show us how we can respond in love to your voice. So whatever it is, as we sing, feel free to stay seated, feel free to stand, feel free to come forward for prayer. Maybe it's not a sin to confess, but power to receive. Or just asking, I want to hear God, it's been a while. Come, let's pray for you as we sing this song. And then after this song, we'll come to the table.